Lunchtime Live with Andrea Gilligan on News Talk. Brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again. Going green on Lunchtime Live. And it's the final week of our Going Green series here on Lunchtime Live. If you've been with us for the last nine weeks, you'll know that we've been looking at everything here on a Tuesday from trying to reduce our plastic use, sustainable clothing, your green holidays, loads more. But today we are turning our attention to the garden and how we can make it a little bit greener in every sense. And uh, who better than plantsman and gardener Paul Smith to join us on the show with his advice today. Paul, how can we be a little bit more sustainable in the front lawn? Different lawn. Ooh, well, it just don't touch it. Um, you know, lawns are one of those fun lawns. We kind of call them green deserts because, you know, a lawn is a lovely thing, but a lawn put too much doesn't really have a huge amount of, you know, wild or a whole lot for anything. But let the lawn grow a little bit, let the grasses flower, let the few weeds in the clover actually flower, and it will bring in pollinators to the garden and really help. You know, and we don't mean like leaving the whole lawn go wild, just leave a little patch of it or maybe cut around the edges. Do it purpose. Don't do it to make it just let the garden go wild altogether. Bring, give us your steps, Paul, to, well, going green in the garden, but I mean in the sort of sustainable sense. So there's lots of things you can do. I mean, the number one thing you can do as a gardener is to avoid all of those products that are in the garden centres at the moment. And that, I mean, the pesticides, the herbicides. I mean, you think herbicides are bad. Pesticides are designed to kill living beings like us. So they're really, really bad. So you know, if you have things like aphids on your roses or if you've got green fly, uh, if you have some things like that, don't worry about it too much. You can use organic alternatives. Um, they don't tend to be as effective, but they're a huge amount safer for both you and everything else. And a lot of these products too will kill everything. So they'll kill the bad things, but they'll also kill the good things. So number one is to avoid using pesticides and herbicides where at all possible. What about the... Um, compost. I mean, how like is there is there a way to work around that? Yeah, yeah. Compost is a really important one. I mean, you know, we've all uh, seen the benefits of staying home, and you know, this whole thing of sending off the compost to be sent uh, to the council to be done. It can be done in your own garden if you have space. No problem at all. Piling it up in a corner of the garden, out of the way that you don't go to very often. And compost is a bit of a dark art. People consider it, you know, kind of helps me to get it right. And yes, it can be difficult to get a compost that comes out the same as what you buy in bags. But if you're patient and if you leave it long enough, and just leave it in a pile in the corner of the garden, don't do very much with it, occasionally turn it if you feel like it, you will eventually get a decent compost. So just keep piling all the waste in your garden. And the important thing about compost is to make sure that you actually break down the pieces. So if you have lots of big branches, they're never going to break down. So you're going to have to get some sort of machine, a shredder or something to break them down or even just chop them into small pieces so they will break down. That's the number one thing. And the number two thing is add other things to the compost, not just green waste like lawn clippings and all that, mm. but cardboard from the house. You know, we all have a newspaper that we don't want. Stuff like that really, really helps the compost break down. It needs a little bit of everything, carbon and nitrogen to break down really, really well. Okay. 53106 is the number if you have a question here for Paul today on going green in your garden. Um, a lot of messages coming in though, Paul, from earlier when I mentioned you were on around plants that are good for trying to attract bees. Ah, yeah. So that's the big one. I mean, at this time of year, people are putting out lots of annual plants and we're, you know, becoming more and more conscious of putting out plants just for 
other, you know, not just ourselves, but for all the pollinators and bees. And the number one thing you can do there is to get open flowers. And by open flowers, I mean the type of flower kids would draw if you gave them a pen and paper. You know, a really open flower that they can access all of the pollen from, not one of these frilly double flowers or these overly bred flowers that look amazing, but don't allow the actual access into the middle of the flower. So things like pendulas or French marigolds, they're really good generally. Um, open things, dahlias that are single flowered, plants that just don't have a double flower are the number one way of attracting pollinators. You can get specific mixes for pollinators too. Uh, they're usually called pollinator mixes, sometimes sold along the lines of wildflowers, and they do a very good mm. job of attracting lots and lots of pollinators. I see Geraldine in Tipperary has texted in, Paul, and, and she's wondering, she says, I don't use weed killer or any chemical feed, but I'm wondering if you can ask Paul, what can I use for the little white fly on my roses? Ah, yeah. So the white fly is one that really do affect the roses. They tend to spread other diseases too. They're an aphid. The best thing to do with them is to get a little bit of washing up liquid from the garden's kitchen, put it into a, one of those grey little things. Uh, not a huge amount, just a couple of drops in the bottom. Give it a good shake and spray it on. And that actually will suffocate them, uh, the sudsy sort of water. So put a good bit of that on them. And you want to do that quite regularly. And the other thing to do is actually just use a hose pipe and physically blast them off there and knock them off onto the ground so they won't be there eating your roses. So it's kind of, when you do use these things that aren't the chemicals, it isn't as effective. You have to be a little bit more persistent, but it's certainly better for everything. So definitely very washing up with any of that stuff and regularly spray it off. People wondering about the use of water collectors and whether they're a good idea, Paul. Yeah, now they are really good. And, you know, the last couple of years we've had uh, hosepipe bans, uh, droughts are becoming much, much more common. So absolutely, if you have the ability to take water off your roof, it doesn't have to be the house, really the house is probably the biggest building that you'll have, but even if you take it off a garage or a wooden shed, a glasshouse, anything at all, direct the water into a barrel, take as many downpipes as you can into that barrel, and if you've got a lot of roofs, a couple of barrels, uh, really, really good, and regularly use that water. The other thing that water is really good for is it tends to be quite acidic, and lots of plants that grow, particularly in house plant situations, really love a slightly acidic water, but they tend to do a little bit better if you use harvested rainwater. So I'm all for that, absolutely, and just make sure that you regularly clean it out. Don't let mm. it get too smelly, but you're going to be using it in the summertime anyway, so that's not a problem. Yeah. This listener's wondering about trying to have a little area in the back garden for wilding. They're trying to do their bit for uh, going green and sustainability, but as this listener says, I don't like the idea that the whole thing could become overgrown and unsightly, if Paul has any advice. Yeah, so that goes back to what I said earlier about if you have gone maybe don't cut the whole lawn, just cut the edges of it or maybe cut a very you know, definite path through it where anyone who comes to the door will see, oh, there's a path that goes through that lawn. So that wasn't left to go wild for any reason. So make the space some sort of use. People will look at it and go, oh, that was done with purpose. You could even put bits of sculpture if you have areas of the lawn going quite tall and wild and that could look quite nice in there. Um, just make it so that, like I said, it's purposely done. Don't have people thinking, oh, they're not looking after their garden and it's gone totally wild. And the other thing is, do manage it. You know, you can't just let it go totally wild. We do have very limited areas where we live, so we do have to manage um, the land that we have at Smallville. So chop things like briars and those really nasty weeds that will take over. So briars, if you have a few them in a patch, they will eventually just take over the whole thing. So you have to be a little bit, um, I suppose, selective with what you allow to grow in a patch like that. Plantsman and gardener Paul Smith. Paul, thanks a million for joining us here on the programme today. Um, Paul brings to a close the end of our Going Green series here on Lunchtime Live. Well, for the minute anyway. 
Lunchtime Live with Andrea Gilligan. Brought to you by Avant Money. Weekdays at midday on News Talk.